All right, welcome everyone. Good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming back. This is week three, so next week will be the final week um, of our uh, of our gathering. So, uh, so tonight we'll be looking at spiritual gifts. So we'll take a look at what spiritual gifts are and how they work in our life and uh, how we can utilize them more. So let's begin with some prayer first. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Father God, we thank you as we come into your presence to worship you, to adore you. This evening, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit you pour out. Today, Lord, we thank you that you're releasing and stirring up those gifts in the hearts of your people in a brand new and fresh way. Thank you, Lord, that you are helping us as a people to rediscover the charisms, the gifts of the Spirit in your church and in our own lives to serve your people and to glorify your name. So tonight, Lord, as we break open your word regarding the charisms, help us, Lord, to receive them, to grow in them, to be eager for them, and to pray for them uh, as by a new Pentecost. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good. As I mentioned, we'll be looking at spiritual gifts tonight. By the way, we have plenty of refreshments, uh, so help yourself anytime during the evening and during our small group discussion as well. So uh, we'll be looking at what spiritual gifts are and how we can. We'll also be taking time to just very briefly look, give a brief definition of the gifts to have some examples of how some of those gifts are utilized in our life. Uh, we'll also be looking at um, how we can uh, activate them and in our own personal life. And then uh, we'll have a small group discussion, and uh, we'll wrap up the discussion, and towards the end of the evening, uh, we'll be, I'll be talking and giving a few thoughts on what next week will be for us. It's a little bit different session than usual. It's not just teaching, but a time of prayer together as well. So let's take a look at your outline. We'll be following this fairly closely, um, welcoming the spiritual gifts. If you have a Bible with you, that will also come in handy as well tonight. This is a quote from John Paul II on the Feast of Pentecost, 1998. I'm gonna, it's a lengthy quote, but it's a, it kind of sets the tone for the evening. It says, Grace is first and foremost a gift of the Spirit who justifies and sanctifies us. He actually is quoting from the Catechism with this. But grace also includes the gifts that the Spirit grants us to associate us with his work to enable us to collaborate in the salvation of others and in the growth of the body of Christ, the church. And notice the distinction he makes here. There are sacramental graces proper to the different sacraments. There are furthermore special graces, also called charisms. It's another word for spiritual gifts. After the Greek term used by St. Paul and meaning favor, gratuitous gift, benefit. Whatever their character, sometimes it is extraordinary, meaning the gifts are extraordinary, such as the gift of miracles or of tongues. Charisms are orientated towards sanctifying grace. Sanctifying means to help us grow in holiness and are intended for the common good of the church. Common good would be for the service of the church. They are at the service of charity, which builds up the church, yourselves to the gifts of the Spirit. Accept gratefully and obediently the charisms which the Spirit never ceases to bestow on us. I think that final line there, accept gratefully and obediently the charisms which the Spirit never ceases to bestow on us. So it's like uh, there's a certain, the Pope is saying there should be an openness, uh, a gratefulness for the charisms. Um, there should be a, a readiness to receive them, not only in our life personally, but in other people's lives as well. 
And also he says the spirit never ceases to bestow them, which means that the spirit is always eager to give charisms. So we're going to take a look at tonight at how that happens in the church and how it can happen in our own life and for what reason for that. So let's take a look at the outline here, rediscovering the uh, rediscovery of the charismatic dimension of the church. Um, the word charismatic simply means charisms or spiritual gifts. Uh, I know it's oftentimes been associated with movements and so on, but, but basically, or you hear pe- people say, like, are you charismatic, that kind of thing. Actually, a Christian, and particularly a Catholic, if you would, say yes, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's the gift given by the Father and the Son to us, and he has the charisms. So the answer is yes. You don't have to be part of a movement to say that. You just baptize. Once you're baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, and with him comes the gifts. So that makes you charismatic, whether you like it or not. Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So the Second Vatican Council, uh, on a, uh, it's a document called the Constitution of the Church and the Apostolate of the Laity. We'll look a little bit at those documents tonight. Both of those documents set forth in the church the charisms, the gifts of the Spirit. What was so interesting about, particularly the Constitution of the Church, um, was that the Bishops actually debated about the charisms, whether they were still around today or not. Um, things like healings and miracles and tongues and all that. And, and there was a big debate because there were plenty of bishops and cardinals that said, no, nah, I don't think they are. And then Cardinal Sunins got up and he gave a really a, a great speech that talked about, yes, they are. They've always been in, amongst God's people, sometimes lesser amount than others, but he says they've always been. Now, you have to remember, in the Catholic Church in 1962 and 1965, there wasn't uh, in the church uh, a lot of people praying for the sick, praying in tongues, all that didn't exist. But the bishops came to a vote, and they said, guess what? We don't see this, but we believe it should be here. So we're going to vote it all in. And so they, so that was found in the documents. Now, what's interesting about the Vatican Council documents is that the, docu- the Vatican Council is the highest form of the gathering of the church, means that it's the greatest authority for the church. It's higher than any pope. It's higher than any synod of bishops. When the church gathers in a, they call it an ecumenical council, which this was, um, the, the whole idea is that the church is speaking for the whole body of Christ, Protestants and Orthodox as well. Now, they may not always receive everything that's been said, but they are speaking for the whole body of Christ, but in particular for us as Catholics. So, Council documents like this have the greatest weight of authority for us as Catholics in terms of really paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Okay, letter B, there's been a renewed appreciation in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit through the charisms that are being rediscovered today. A new missionary dynamism amongst the faithful. In other words, it helps us to share our faith with others. Number three, a lively expectation of the charismatic gifts visible in the lives of Jesus the apostles and the saints are meant to be manifest in the lives of all the baptized. A lot of times we think of the charisms as just for the saints. And this, a lot of the saints did have a lot of gifts of the Spirit working in them. And we say Jesus, of course, did too, but he's Jesus, you know. And the saints are, like, really up there. So they, but, but little old me, you know, well, guess what? Little old you is supposed to have charisms at work in your life and flowing through your life because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So um, if you're baptized... Uh, you can rest assured that the charism should be working in your life like they worked in the apostles and the saints and Jesus and so on, because it's the same Holy Spirit. 
John Paul II was confirming an authentic work of God uh, in the church for the rediscovery and the meaning of the charisms in the church's life and mission. What John Paul II did is that he said that we are rediscovering this charismatic dimension of the church today. In other words, it's been there, but we haven't paid that much attention to it. So he said we're rediscovering it in our day in a, in a brand new way. Let's take a look at what he said. Uh, this is from September 1994. He says, in our day, too, many signs and, and great witnesses have been given to individuals, groups, and movements generously dedicated to the apostolate. Apostolate just means service of the church. They show the marvels of Pentecost have not ceased, but are renewed abundantly in the church today. That's why we call this seminar as by a new Pentecost, because as the Pope is saying, the marvels of Pentecost have not ceased. Goes on to say, um, it is obvious that in addition to a considerable development in the doctrine of the charisms, there has been a new flowering of active lay people in the church. It's not by chance the two facts have occurred at the same time. That is, the two facts he's referring to is the marvels of Pentecost being renewed and the activity, a new activity of lay people. All this is a, is a work of the Holy Spirit. So John Paul II is, was clearly trying to say, hey, the, the reemergence of the charisms today that we're rediscovering is leading also to a more active lay people um, because they're re- recognizing the charisms in their life, and so they want to use those charisms to serve the Lord's people with them. And that's what we're really about. Uh, well, tonight's teaching is about that, but the whole purpose of a new, as by New Pentecost is to pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life so those charisms can be stirred up in our life. And one of the things that we'll be doing, and we'll talk a little bit more this later on, moving forward as a parish is that we want, uh, we'll love every single registered member of St. Patrick's Church to spend time rediscovering or discovering the charisms in their life so they can utilize them to serve the Lord's people. Okay, so what are charisms? It's a, speci- it's a, gift, or, uh, it's a gift or a special gift or favor. Now, when it says special, it doesn't mean for special people. Sometimes we hear special means special people. No, it's special meaning that it's the Lord's favor. It's the Lord's grace he's giving to us. That means all of us are being given special gifts and favors from the Lord. They empower a Christian to perform a particular kind of service to build up the life of the church and carry out her mission. Some of us, I bet you a lot of us, already are exercising charisms in our life. We just don't know it. So things like teachings tonight and what we'll be offering a little bit later on, uh, like in June, are designed to put a name on what is already active in your life. At the same time, also to make you aware of more the Lord wants to give you. Because, you know, the Lord always is eager in giving us more. It's like he never stops giving more. He's a father who so loves his children that he keeps pouring out gracious gifts upon them. So, all right. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says this. I'm not going to read everything because some of it is already read that we quoted from the Pope, but look at the very last uh, statement there, right next to the number 2203. It says, they are at the service of charity which builds up the church. The purpose of the charisms is to build up the church and be exercised in love. What I mean by love here is desire to serve and help others grow in their relationship to Christ. For some, it may mean rediscovering a relationship with Christ. Some others, awakening a relationship with Christ. Others, it's building them up already in their relationship with Christ. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives to each as he wills. And uh, you don't, 
have to turn yet to any scripture. I'm just going to read this from 1 Corinthians 12. It says, all these, meaning the charisms, are a work of the one in the same spirit. He distributes them to each one as just as he determines. So the Holy Spirit is the dispenser of the charisms, the gifts. In other words, he's the source of them for our life. And again, like I said, if you're baptized, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So that means he's got a whole bag of gifts for you. We, we like to call it around here a gift mix, okay? That we don't believe he gives one gift. We believe he gives a mix of gifts, you know. So he imparts a new power and new capacity to undertake a new activity for the building up of the church. Charisms release a new power to build up the church. So in other words, what's the value of charisms? They bring into the life of the church a new power, a new presence of the Lord that builds it up in charity, in love. So if we don't exercise the charisms, then the power of the Lord's not released into his people, and they can't get built up, and they can't, and love doesn't flourish. You know, so, so number three here, who receives the charisms? Every baptized Christian is given a charism or multiple charisms, or like I said, gift mix, to build up the church and further her mission. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, again, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The word for manifestation there is charism or spiritual gift. This is a quote taken from um, uh, the, uh, Christopher Deus Lachi, which is a, um, a document that John Paul II wrote in 1990, I believe. It was on uh, Christ amongst his laity, and this is what he said. The Second Vatican Council speaks of the mystery, ministries and charisms as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are given for the building up of the, of the Christ, the body of Christ, and for its mission of salvation in the world. Indeed, the church is directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, who lavishes diverse, now listen to the language here, hierarchical and charismatic gifts on all the baptized. Hierarchical would be like the church offices, like the bishop, like the pastors of churches, and charismatic gifts on all the baptized calling them to be each in an individual way active and co-responsible. In other words, and this is something that I think in the Catholic Church we're beginning to get awakened to, we used to think that the priests and maybe the bishops had to do all the work of the church. What John Paul II is saying in light of the Second Vatican Council is, no, absolutely not. Matter of fact, that's not a healthy church. Um, but rather, he's saying, is the Holy Spirit gives hierarchical gifts. That means he gives offices like bishops and priests and deacons and so on. But he also gives charismatic gifts to all the faithful to do the work of the ministry in the church. So, the, so what, the, what John Paul is saying is basically that the laity, meaning all of you here tonight, need to discover, rediscover the spiritual gifts in your life. Otherwise, the church doesn't really get healthy and grow. And we're not going to be able to evangelize either for that part. There's like, the Holy Spirit's like saying to the church, like, you don't, you don't have a choice. Like, I've given you gifts. It's about time you wake up and discover them, okay, and utilize them. He goes on to say, we now turn our thoughts to ministries and charisms as they directly relate to the lay faithful and to their participation in the life of the church communion. Now, this is from the Apostle of the Laity, from the Second Vatican Council, this next quote. And this was the late people got their first document in the church over 2,000 years, first time they have documents, all, by, all to them. Okay, this is what it says. For the exercise of this apostolate, the Holy Spirit who sanctifies the people of God through ministry and the sacraments, 
gives the faithful special gifts also. Again, not special people, but special gifts, meaning comes from the heart of the Father. Allotting to everyone according as he wills, in order that the individuals administering grace to others, just as they received it, may also be good stewards of the manifold grace of God, to build up the whole body in charity. Let me just stop right there because it's a mouthful. Basically, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the faithful, to lay people. You're supposed to use those gifts. When you do so, the church gets built up, and you are to be good stewards of those gifts. In other words, you're supposed to welcome them, grow with them, utilize them to build up the church in charity. Okay. So, in other words, when we stand before the Lord one day, all of us are going to have to be accountable for the gifts he's given and how we utilize them. And if we say, gee, I didn't know he's going to, you know, doll up a big screen tonight's meeting. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> From the acceptance of these charisms, including those which are more elementary, there arise for each believer the right and duty to use them. Listen to that, the right and the duty. So you have a right to use them, but you also have a duty to use them. In the church and in the world, for the good of men and for the building up the church, in the freedom of the Holy Spirit who breathes where he wills. This should be done by the laity in communion with their brothers in Christ, especially with their pastors who must make a judgment about the true nature and the proper use of these gifts, not to extinguish the Spirit, but to test all things and hold for what is good. We'll come back to that a little bit later, that last statement, because it's really important. But pastors in the church have a responsibility to discern the use of the gifts, um, not to squelch them, but to make sure that they grow healthily in the church. Charisms, then, are for the common good. That means for everybody, to serve, for the service to others, Okay, and then the gifts given in confirmation. You remember what they are, right? Gifts given in confirmation. I'll just read that very briefly to you. I think in the Catholic Church, we thought these were the only gifts given. Um, but let me make a, a, let me just read what it says. This is from Isaiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be the fear of the Lord. So they're the, when, we, when we confirm people, whether it be adults or kids or teenagers, we pray for these gifts to come upon them. These gifts help us grow in relationship to the Lord. They're for you. They're for me. They're not for anybody else, meaning that uh, the gift of wisdom and understanding counsel might is for you to grow in holiness, to grow in relationship to the Lord. And that's, you absolutely, we absolutely need that for our salvation. So those gifts are really important for our salvation. But here's the point is the Lord has other gifts he gives that will help build up the church. And that's the part where we don't talk about that at confirmation. And we really need to because it's when the Holy Spirit, when we pray for the Holy Spirit to come with his gifts, we're not just praying for the gifts that, those sanctifying gifts that are given like at confirmation. He has a whole bunch of other gifts he wants to give too because he envisions you building up his people, not just growing in relationship to the Lord through those particular gifts given in confirmation. Number four, how do charisms differ from natural talents, and how many charisms are there? Charisms are given directly by the Holy Spirit. Talents are inborn or inherited. I'll make a clear distinction on this because it makes a difference how we understand this. Charisms can build on natural talent. Great, we say grace builds on nature, but it's, but it's the spiritual gift that releases power to strengthen and build up the body of Christ. 
somebody can have a, a for example, a gift of music, and that's a natural talent. But the Lord can also take that natural talent and build on top of that a real uh, spirit of worship and praise that flows out of their own personal growth in relation to the Lord. And through that, give a charisms like of, of worship that can really build up the congregation goes beyond their musical talent. In other words, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit giving the charism of like praise or worship through music will enable that person that when they utilize their gift, will, people will be changed, they'll be affected, they'll be touched in some way. Um, somebody can have a natural gift of teaching, like in a classroom in a school, a public school, say, for example, and that's great. That's a natural gift. But when they utilize that gift to serve the Lord's people, um, that's a natural ability. But what the Lord wants to do is give the gift of teaching on top of it. What's the difference? Is that he empowers and works through that particular person with a, not just a natural talent, but the spiritual gift of teaching that, again, affects and changes a person's life. So, okay, because the reason is because it re- the spiritual gift is what releases a new power of the Lord into people's lives. Okay, so there are different lists in the New Testament by Peter and Paul, but none are meant to be exhaustive. We're going to go back in just a minute and cover some of these lists, but I'm not going to do it at this moment. So I answer the question, how many charisms are there? There really isn't a particular number. The lists are open-ended. However, I often say, let's start with the ones that are listed in the New Testament. We get them down, okay? And then we'll see the Lord builds on other gifts and gives other gifts. So, okay. So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles with you, um, start with Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Kind of go, I just want you to hear the gifts, and then we'll go through them um, and give a short def- definition for each of them. This is one list found in the New Testament. Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, that uh, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function. Okay, so in other words, right there, Paul, is, a basic principle is God loves diversity. So just because you have the gift of teaching or hospitality doesn't mean that everybody else has to have it too, okay? So, so because God loves diversity, okay? Um, so we all don't have to look the same, act the same with our gifts, our charisms. Um, and the reason why he loves diversity is because each of the gifts reflect his heart. And so if you have a gift of hospitality, you're reflecting his heart. Somebody else has a gift of teaching, they're reflecting his heart through the gift of teaching, okay? Okay, so, and then it says all the members do not have the same function. So in other words... Uh, not only are there different gifts, but there are different offices in the church. So a pastor has his office, the lay people have their office, and, and, and they're supposed to function well using the charisms and the gifts the Lord gives them their different offices. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what makes us one is that we're baptized into Christ and acknowledging him as our Lord and Savior. Okay, so, you know, I'm sure you've heard the, st- the analogy, I've, I've used it before, where you wake up one morning and your, your, you know, your right eye decides to take the day off. Okay, you wouldn't like that very much. <laughs> okay, so it's like, I need my right eye, so wake up and be what you're supposed to be. But what happens when in a parish, 
people don't utilize their gifts, don't know what their gifts are. Like, like we need gifts of administration. We need gifts of hospitality. We'll go through the list here. We need all these gifts that are going to list it here. And if, if, like, most of the parish wakes up one day and decides we're not using the gifts, we're not even discovering the gifts, we don't even know what they, not even interested in finding what they are, then the parish, it's like your, it's like your body. You go through the day without the sight coming from one eye. You know, that's difficult. It's challenging, right? And the parish tries to go along, and it can't work very well because a lot of people aren't utilizing their charisms and their gifts. So it's like the parish is going through its, its activity without its eyes and ears and hands and feet and all that. And only like 10% of people are, are using their charism. So it's like I only have my right side of my body working today. The left side decided to take off, you know? That's what's happening right now in our parishes. And that's what's got to change. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to change. Okay. So let's look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So there again, the differ, differ diversity. Let us use, let us use them. Let us use them. That's what Paul's saying. Let us use them. It's like, don't let them lie dormant. Use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. In other words, if the Lord's giving you a gift of prophecy, then utilize it. If service in our service. He who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who contributes in liberality. He who gives aid with zeal. He who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're going to go through these gifts in a moment, but that's just a listing there. So you can see what Paul's trying to say, and the same principles will be found in in 1 Corinthians. He says there's diversity, but utilize your gifts. If you don't, the body of Christ, the church, suffers. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for another listing of the gifts. Okay. And I'm going to pick it up with verse 7. But verse, let's start with verse 4 again. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says this, There are varieties of gifts. Diversity again. So that word keeps popping up, right? Okay. But the same Spirit... There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of working, but it's the same God who inspires them all and everyone. So the source of the gifts is the Holy Spirit, but he loves diversity. To, in the verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation meaning charism or spiritual gift. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Notice the, the plural there, gifts of healing. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To other, the interpretation of tongues. And verse 11, all these are inspired by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is the source of the gifts he gives the gifts to people in the church, in the parish, the way he wants to. The role of the pastor is to help people discover and to utilize and grow in those gifts for the sake of the healthiness of the whole parish and for the purpose so the parish can fulfill its mission in the world or in the region it's located in. Okay, so we'll go over those gifts and then let's turn to another category and that's found in First Peter chapter 4. This is Peter now talking. So Peter is all the way towards the end of the New Testament. 
It's uh, past Hebrews, past James. Okay, First Corinthians chapter. I'm sorry, First Peter chapter four, verse ten and eleven. Now, what Peter is doing, he summarizes all the gifts into two categories. This is what he says. As each has received a gift, in other words, he says, each has received a gift, so at least one gift, I like to say a gift mix, but okay, at least one, okay, he says, employ it for one another, You'll, in other words, you use it, don't let it lie dormant, okay, and then he says, um, as good stewards of God's varied grace, so in other words, be a good steward of what he's given you. And then it says, verse 11, whoever speaks as one who utters oracles of God, whoever renders service as one renders it by the strength which God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So in other words, he's saying he puts all the gifts into two categories, the speaking gifts and the gifts of service. So a speaking gift would be like teaching, would be like prophecy. Uh, service would be like hospitality, like um, uh, the gift of, of helps, as it's called, and so on. We'll, again, we'll cover them in just a minute. And then this last category is Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians is to your left. Chapter 4. Okay, so you turn to the left and pass First and Second Thessalonians, pass the Royal Farm Store, you know. <laughs> okay, so, all right. Just wanted to see you listening. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so Ephesians 4, verse 11. And his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints. The saints here mean faithful, everyone who's baptized, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So I'll just stop right there with that. Um, these gifts are, are called the office gifts in the church, and their purpose is to equip, to discern, to raise up, to help grow the, 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 the saints, meaning the, lay, the faithful, for the work of ministry. Notice it says work of ministry. So it's not, it's not, so again, if you could put it in these terms, if the parish is functioning properly, it's not the pastor who does the work of the ministry. He, he does do a particular work of ministry, but his main job Besides preaching and teaching and prayer, his main job is to help uh, discern, equip, and train you all to do the work of the ministry. Okay. When we had just, we got the opposite in the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, and that's, what's, that's what needs to change. It's got to change. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to get the church to change in our time. So we have the documents, which are great, but we need to put the documents into practice, right? And in the Catholic Church, we've made, we made the, the pastor and the deacon and the staff do the work of the ministry. Everybody else was, for the most part, the recipients of that. But that's lopsided. It's, it's fact, it's backwards. Um, so, and that's what we're about here, and you'll see tonight and a little bit later on uh, in, into the spring, we have ways that we can begin to help the, the faithful, the lay faithful in the parish discover and begin to put into practice their gifts. Okay, so let's take a look at number five on your outline. What I like to do is go through very briefly, uh, like a, a short summary of the gifts. 
so you have some understanding of what we're talking about. In the, down the road, we'll talk more about these gifts in detail. So how are the charisms defined? First, the speaking gifts. Prophecy. What is prophecy? Everybody thinks prophecy is prediction of the future. It can, it can have that, but it's not that much of it. Prophecy is speech inspired by the Holy Spirit to build up, encourage, and console uh, a person. It's not, it has very little to do with prediction of the future. Um, it has more to do with uh, encouraging, consoling, um, and, and exhorting a person, building them up. A couple of these I will give some concrete stories and examples of in a few minutes. Sometimes, but not always, it may include a future event, such as Jesus predicted the fall of the temple. So sometimes it does, but most of the time when prophecy is operating well, it builds up, encourages, consoles individuals and the whole parish community. Again, I'll give you some concrete examples of that in a few minutes. Number two, uh, on your next page, page four, the gift of exhortation. Paul speaks about this in Romans 12. It's given to encourage, challenge, and when needed to correct others to motivate into a right action. And a person who's an exhorter is like a cheerleader, if you would, for the body of Christ. They get in there and they encourage and they challenge and they exhort people to follow a certain path the Lord's asking them to follow. Um, I remember a lady I used to know um, um, years ago um, when she was active in St. Thomas More Parish. She was a great encourager. She would encourage, you know, when she saw people with certain gifts or not even natural abilities, she would encourage them. She'd go up to them and you know, encourage them. And when they weren't utilizing their gifts, she'd get in their face and say, you know, you're, the Lord gave you the gifts and you're not utilizing them. We're all suffering because of that, you know? <laughs> so if nothing but the guilt trip helped you. <laughs> but yes. I will with an example. I'll use an example towards the end. I think it will be, it'll be easier to if I give a concrete uh, testimony of it. Okay. Number three is word of knowledge, is insight into some aspect of faith. That could be like uh, the passion of Jesus, the resurrection, or it can be a knowledge uh, of a hidden fact. Again, like Jesus at the woman at the well had a knowledge about her relationship her, her current relationships. Remember, she had been married five times and she was living with a man. Or Ananias was given a, a knowledge regarding Paul's conversion. And Ananias, they didn't have, um, you know, they weren't, couldn't text in those days. So Ananias had no way of what happened to Paul, except the Lord spoke to him in a dream and gave him, said, I want you to go to his house. And Ananias said, you know, he persecutes Christians. And he said, no, he's been converted. So that was a word of knowledge that helped Paul come into a deeper conversion. I'll give you some uh, examples of that in just a minute, too. Word of wisdom is practical counsel, the kind recorded in Proverbs and Sirach. It's not wisdom gained from life experience, but supernatural insight about how to handle a particular situation. Again, I have an example of that in a moment. Number five is tongues, uh, given as a gift to build up the private prayer life. Okay, now, so Pat talked about the gift of tongues last week that was used like almost like a devotional way to just build up her personal prayer life and to minister to others. But also, there's another gift of tongues that can be used to edify the church or the parish by speaking a language never learned. 
And then number six, you need someone that can interpret that, ability to interpret a language not previously learned. So a lot of people, when they hear tongues, they think of tongues just as one thing. Actually, it's not. There's three different uses of the gift of tongues in the New Testament. One is at Pentecost, where they all spoke in languages that the people, 3,000, heard. The other is someone, uh, like if someone were to stand up right now and just pray in tongues, and some, everybody else is silent, and somebody else was to interpret. In other words, they have a sense of what the Lord is saying through that. That's the second use. And the third use is for my own private devotional. Okay, so next is the sign or power gifts. The first one is called faith. This is found in 1 Corinthians 12. It's an extraordinary movement of expectant faith. In other words, somebody has an overwhelming confidence that the Lord wants to do something at this particular moment. A, a good example of that was um, Mother Angelica when she felt the Lord give her the, uh, wanted her to have this, you know, put the Catholic Church on TV, basically, you know, and she had absolutely nothing. She had no finances, no support, you name it. But she, she, she persevered because the Lord had given her this charismatic gift of faith that knew that she had an overwhelming confidence to know that the Lord would supply for whatever she had need of. Yeah. Healing for physical, emotional, spiritual healing, and deliverance from evil spirits. In the 1 Corinthians 12, it said, if you remember, gifts of healing, it's the only Charism in which it's plural. And why, was it, why is it plural? Because there are different kinds of uh, sicknesses and ailments. So there's different kinds of gifts for that. So, for example, a person, a person may be really gifted with inner healing, but their batting average with physical healing isn't so good. Okay? But somebody else may be really, really good uh, and really gifted with physical healing and praying for people to get well and maybe particular certain kinds of illnesses. And you say, well, why does God do that? I just give the whole package to somebody. Like, it's because he loves diversity, and he loves the interdependence of the body of Christ. He doesn't want anyone just to have it all. He, he loves the working together of the body. Number three, work in the miracles, manifestation of divine power that radically changes a person or situation. So in other words, God manifests his power in such a way that the situation radically changes, like we might say, overnight. It could be not only physical, like sometimes we think of miracles as healing, and it is, but it also could be financial, too. These are situations where God intervenes in such a way that the situation radically changes overnight. It went from, like, zero to 180 in one night. Like, that's an example of manifestation of power. Discernment of spirits, insights from the Lord regarding the source of a particular thought or situation. It could be, is it coming from the Holy Spirit? Is it coming from the human heart? Or is it coming from a demonic spirit? So a person with this gift, discerning of spirits, is able to distinguish the source. It doesn't mean that they're the judge and jury. It just simply means they're understanding where it's coming from. And okay. Letter C, service gifts. The first is called helps. This is found in 1 Corinthians 12. Actually, we didn't read it, but it's like verses 28 and 29. Serve others in a supportive role in joyful and productive ways. We all know people like that, right, who love to serve others, but they do so in a supportive way, kind of the behind the scenes, the unsung heroes kind of thing. This is, this is the gift of helps. Next is the gift of hospitality, provide an open house and warm welcome to others in need. Notice it's not serving coffee, tea, and donuts. Okay, that's okay to do that, but it's more than that. It's opening your home to people in need. Okay. Giving, 
This is liberality in sharing one's goods with others. It's not just financial uh, giving, but it's also material giving. There are some people, I'm sure you met, you ran across them, who just love to give of their resources, and they never fear of running out because they know the Lord will always provide for them. That's the gift of liberality. Okay. Number six, mercy. This is compassion with joy and strength to help others. So in other words, this person has the gift of mercy, which means there's a, they have an overwhelming sense of compassion. Uh, there's a, I remember there's a lady at uh, St. Philip Mary. She's on staff there. I remember I hired her because when I worked with, she was a volunteer at Church Crucifixion in Glen Burnie, and she worked with the social outreach to the poor, and she volunteered. But I was kind of really touched when I was there as pastor of her, her, her gift of mercy, her compassion for the poor. So when I came up to St. Philip Neary as pastor there, I asked the deacon on staff, would you find me the poor so we can care for them? He came back and said, there's no poor around. <laughs> okay? So that's what he said. Okay, so that's fine. I realized that wasn't his gift. <laughs> so, so I called up. So I called up this lady, and I said, um, I said, would you mind, would you like to work up here? And I said, and put you on staff and uh, find the poor for me. So within, she came up, and within two months, she found the poor, and she established a huge ministry down there of outreach to the poor. Why? Because she had the gift of mercy. And she could finally find the poor, but she befriended them. She went into their homes. She went into their neighborhoods. You know, I remember at Crucifixion Church, we used to take packages of food into apartments, areas where she had found the poor. And we just, instead of them coming to us, we went to them, for example. She just had, a, she had the gift of mercy. And somebody else, you ask them to do that, they don't have that gift. They may try to do the best they can, but it's like really tough to do for them because they're not gifted to do that. But she had the heart and she had the gift for it. Okay, leadership gifts. This, these are the gifts that are found in Ephesians chapter 4. The foundational gifts to build up the body of Christ. Apostle. This is one sent to govern the church, preach and teach, and found new Christian communities. This is the role of the bishop today. They may, and sometimes they do establish new communities, new Christian parishes. Number two is the prophet. Speak to build up, to encourage, console. They understand the mysteries of the faith, which is the teaching of the faith. They receive revelations, which is insights into that. They disclose secrets of hearts. They strengthen the community through inspired exhortation. These are people that, uh, that are really, really gifted in this area, and they're recognized by not only a parish, but maybe even broader than that, maybe the whole diocese. And they have a, a wider range than just, um, just maybe the local parish. Evangelists, they communicate the good news to the others to Christ. Now, everyone's called to share our faith, but certain people are really gifted in such a way that they inspire and train others to share their faith with others. Number four is teacher. They make clear Christian truth with application. Now, all of us can teach. Like, you know, if you have your grandchild and they ask you a question about how many people were in the Trinity, I mean, you can teach them about the three persons and what that's all about, okay, for you and your grandchild, okay? But there are certain people in the parish that have the gift of teaching, and they can teach wide ranges of people about Christian truth and how to apply that to your life. Number five is the pastor. Provide for the spiritual welfare of the community through care, guidance, and spiritual nourishment. Okay. Now, we're, we, like to we like to establish small groups here in St. Patrick's, and we like those, the, the host of the small groups to have like a pastoring heart, but they don't have the office of pastor. Okay, that, 
That's one who's ordained and established by the bishop. But they have a key role in helping those folks in that small group grow in their relationship to the Lord. Okay, so number six, why do I need to welcome these gifts into my life? Remember John Paul II said, welcome them with gratefulness. Okay, why? Letter A, it's part of Jesus' plan for your life because you're his disciple. With his spirit in you, he made an investment in you. So he's like, he has a down payment with you, okay? It cost him his life at the cross. And so he could pour out his spirit to live in you through the waters of baptism. So he's got an investment in you. So to not utilize the gifts the Lord's given you and to grow in them and to, you know, to serve through them means that we're not using Jesus' investment wisely, okay? He's not going to get good return on you or me, okay? Now, letter B, it's essential for the health and the strength of the church and her mission in the world. In other words, the church will not be strong or healthy or be able to fulfill its mission to evangelize without the gifts of its people being released. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, 5, Jesus talks about receiving power from on high. Well, the gifts are tools for the mission. So, for example, if the plumber comes to your house because you called him because you have a plumbing issue, and he comes to the house and he doesn't bring any of his tools, you say, wait a minute, (laughs) what kind of plumber are you, right? How are you going to fix this thing? Now, he may be a pretty good plumber, a master plumber, but if he doesn't have his tools, he's very limited in what he can do. When a parish doesn't have the gifts of its people being operative and in a great way, the parish may be able to get some jobs done, but it's, not, it's being very limited in what it can accomplish. It's going to fall way short of its mission. The role of those in authority in the church, bishop, priests, deacons, are called to, are, are to call forth, facilitate, coordinate, and discern the gifts of the faithful. In other words, it's the role primary in a parish, uh, the, the pastor, and if he has a deacon, uh, deacon working with him or other priests working with him, is to uh, not so much do the work of the ministry, but to help discern the gifts, to train people, to pastor them, to help them grow in the gifts, to coordinate the gifts, to make sure they operate in love and charity. So that's the main role of a pastor and uh, as an associate or deacons, um, and the staff. I think that's one of the key roles of the staff, too, is they kind of, as an extension of the pastor. You know. Letter C. St. Paul said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed. So in other words, he, doesn't want, he didn't want the Corinthians to not know about gifts of the Spirit. So he was going to teach them about it. And then he says also earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So we're to, we're to seek after the gifts. We're to pray for them. We're to find out what they are. We're to grow in them. Um, so Paul is exhorting Christians to say, don't be ignorant of the gifts, but then also desire them, seek after them. Okay. So part of what we do with a new Pentecost, like next week when we, whoever would like prayer, we're praying for the charisms and the gifts to be operative in your life so that you will desire them and want them and seek after them. John Paul II says, 2004, open yourselves meekly to the gifts of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Accept with gratitude and obedience the gifts that the Spirit does not cease to give. Do not forget that each charism is given for the common good. Okay. Now, before we finish up with number seven and go into small group discussion, I want to give you a couple examples of the gifts. So, 
to answer uh, Ed's question, what is prophecy? Uh, how does that differ from, like, exhortation? Well, partly is the gifts will often sometimes overlap. So there's, there's no, sometimes there's not a clear cut. Like in the exercise of prophecy, for example, you can have like a word of knowledge. You can also have exhortation going on too. So the gifts will overlap. And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit, uh, again, loves diversity. So he doesn't mind saying, hey, for this moment, take three instead of one gift. You're going to need three to help them get the message across. So here's an example of prophecy. This was spoken to a parish on a Sunday morning. Um, it was after communion, I believe it was. And this is what it says. It says this, a person, uh, was, um, this person, particular person had, their, had been discerned that their gifts were, was one of their particular gifts was prophecy, which meant they could speak to encourage console, uh, exhort the Lord's people. And this is what they said. Now, notice how they speak. They speak as if the Lord is speaking. So they speak in the first person. It says, Behold, I stretch out my hand and catch hold of my people, turning them aside from their own ways and into the way I've chosen. Behold, today I reach out my hand to form and shape, to mold and fashion my people. My people are not ready. I gird myself up and march to war, and my people do not march with me. I sound a battle cry, and my people hear nothing. But now I will reach down and shake them. Now I will rouse them from their sleep. No longer will they be held in dishonor. No longer will they be deceived. I will reveal to the world the immensity of my glory, the power of my love, and the strength of my arm through my people." Now, he's speaking to the people of this parish community. My people, open your ears and hear me. I've taken hold of you to change you, to, to cause you to walk in my way. So what that prophecy was saying was that the Lord wants to use those people to show his glory to the regent they were located in. And the prophecy was used to exhort them, encourage them, to inspire them, and to challenge them all in one message that was brought forth. This particular person that gave this had been, uh, had, they just didn't like pop up one Sunday morning and say, here I am. You know, it's like they were, they had, their life had been growing in relation to the Lord. They had been uh, shepherded and pastored in that. They had been taught about prophecy. They had been tested it out in small circles and gatherings. And then it was uh, you know, then there came a time when they were able to stand up in front of a ca- congregation on a Sunday morning and share that with people. Now, what did that do for the congregation? Well, first of all, what it does for the pastoral leadership is it helps us become aware the Lord wants to be is serious about using us. Secondly, the pastor then could then go to the congregation and say, okay, we really need to get serious to look at what the Lord's doing in our life and take that not for granted, but be, be very somber about that. And then thirdly, it's a great thing. The Lord wants to use you to touch the lives of others. You're vessels that can, will touch people's lives for eternity. You know? So that's an example of prophecy that has exhortation in it. It's also um, the nature of the prophecy is inspiring, encouraging, consoling uh, a person, building them up. In this case, it was spoken to the parish on Sunday morning. I had an example of prophecy, uh, but it was not to a congregation, for example. Another example would be, I was, 2009, I was at uh, in, uh, a seminar in 
uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland, and it was with a community of Catholics, basically. And in, the, in this particular gathering, they were teaching us about the use of prophecy, how it can be used. But it wasn't for, like, large settings. It was just mostly for individuals. So they taught us about it, and they said, well, we want you to practice it now. So they paired us off. And I didn't know, because I didn't know anybody in the community, but I was paired off with the leader of the community, the head of the community. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> okay, so, so, so we each were to, like, turn to the Lord privately and say, Lord, what's a good word you want to give for the other person? So he, had a, he went to speak a prophecy to me, and I was supposed to be able to share a prophecy with him. And I thought the Lord said to me, that gave me the image of Joshua as he was ready to cross over the, promise, the Jordan River into the promised land. And, and what I felt that the Lord say to me is that, that this community and the leadership of this community is, is needs to get ready, this community, to, to have a new season in the life of this community. So I shared that with the person who, happened, who then shared to me, I'm the leader of this community. <laughs> okay. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, we had been through a desert time, he says, over like the last 10 years as a community, he said. And we had been talking about a new season facing us as a, as a community of Catholics. We felt like the Lord wanted to do a new thing with us. The new thing, which I didn't know anything about because I, I didn't know anybody really, it was that they had been talking to Rome about making them a part of what was called the fraternal uh, Catholic communities, which is uh, communities that um, put their uh, life under Rome's pastoring, basically. And, uh, um, and of course, I, I had no idea of that because I'm, I'm a foreigner, so to speak. I'm coming from the outside, you know, so I don't know anything what's happening. And he said to me that was an encouragement. He said to me, meaning the, the leader of the community, he said it was an encouragement to me that this is a direction we should move in because we have been struggling with whether we should do this or not. But now I feel like the Lord is saying, yes, we should do that. So there's an example of prophecy spoken in a personal way to this man and to inspire him, encourage him, and give him a sense and exhort him into a certain direction they have been wrestling with. Okay, that's an example of prophecy. Okay, so parents can prophesy over their children, right? Right? You have, I mean, you love your child, your grandchildren. You, ha- you know their heart. You have a heart for them, a heart of love for them. So why not seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, what's, give me a, a word to speak to my son, my daughter, my grandchild that will inspire to encourage him. And you don't have to come off and say, you know, thus saith the Lord and God has, you know, just simply say, you know, I, I really want you to know, because I didn't say that to this guy. I didn't say that at all. I just said, this is what I feel like the Lord might be saying, you know. I left it open to the fact that he could just reject it if he wanted to and not feel any guilt about that, you know. So you can do that, you know, because you, you already have a heart for your grandchild, your son, your daughter. So all you do is ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to them, you know. Okay, another gift I want to use as an example from illustration is word of knowledge. Okay, um, remember, this is on page four. A word of knowledge is insight into some aspect of faith or it can be knowledge of a hidden fact. Now, remember, uh, Pat shared the example last week that of, the, of the elbow and your healing is hinging on something. She prayed, remember, to herself, and the Lord gave her that picture of 
of like an elbow, and she, and the word that she came in their mind was hinging, and that this person's healing was hinging. So the word knowledge was the picture of the elbow, and Pat spoke that out to the person and she, with the question, what's keeping you from your healing? Of course, the lady shared what that was, and that opened up Pat to be able to pray with that person. If Pat did not share that word knowledge, then most likely they would not open the door to the healing of that lady because she wouldn't know how to pray for that lady. I had an example uh, years ago. We were training people about word, how to utilize word knowledges in their life, and so we paired off with people, and I was paired off with uh, uh, it was a, a woman. I think it was in her like mid-30s, and we were supposed to pray and say, Lord, what do you want? What's Give me some insight into this person that, that will help them grow closer to you. So what came to my mind with image was uh, a picture of a little girl, and she was standing by the gate, and the gate had swung open, and some man, some person, walked away from her, and she was crying. Well, I, I didn't know this person at all. I had no idea who she was, okay? And uh, so this first time I ever met her, I said, well, I shared that with her. I said, does that mean anything to you? And she said, yes. When I was just five, my father left home, and he died. He never came back. And, of course, she had been, that was a, a tremendous grief. So what we did, what I did was I began to pray with her for the healing of that loss in her life. So Now, I would never have known that, and she most likely would have never even shared that with me in this setting at all, unless the Lord gave me that word of knowledge. That opened her up to be able to speak that, you know. So, um, okay, so what else I have here? Um, We pretty much uh, know healings and gifts of healing, so let's, uh, let me give you an example of a gift of healing. This is from Mary Healy. Mary, Mary, is, a, um, Mary is a scripture scholar, at, uh, a biblical teacher at Sacred Heart uh, Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. She's on staff there um, in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And uh, she says this. Uh, she says, sometimes the Lord does re- the most remarkable healings when we're not looking or planning for them. My friend, Dan, a leader of the Alleluia community, which is an ecumenical community in Georgia, he and a friend were given a retreat at a parish. After mass, they went into the church hall for a potluck dinner. And during the meal, they happened to mention they pray for people for healing. Dan recounts the story. He says this, as soon as we finished talking, people started coming up to ask for prayer. The first to get in line was a lady in her 60s who could barely walk, but she was with a walker. She was almost in tears with pain. She explained that six months earlier she'd fallen, broken her hip in three places. Surgeries did not help at all. So we prayed over her, and we finished. We asked her if she could take our hands and start to walk. This is independent of the walker. She reluctantly did so, expecting to experience a lot of pain, but there was none. We then asked her to let go of the walker, take our hands, and take a few baby steps. We promised that she would not fall. As it turned out, she began to take the baby steps, and the more she took, the more she was able to walk without pain. Before that, she was running around the room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So that's an example of the gift, uh, one of the gifts of healing. I had an example of the gifts of healing at St. Philip Neri. It was an interesting one. 
a lady came to me. She was a parishioner, and she, um, she was experiencing a lot of pain in her neck, and she was scheduled for surgery uh, two months out. But she could not function at work. She could not sleep at night because the pain. She was on pain medication, but it wasn't touching the pain at all. It was like, it was like nine plus almost every, every moment of her waking day. She said, I would, I would like prayer, you know, to get rid of this pain. So that's what we prayed for. So she was, um, we prayed, I was in my office, and um, what I did was I uh, prayed for about 10 minutes with her, and I said, well, how's the pain now? And she said, it's down to like a seven, okay? And we prayed another five minutes. I said, how's the pain now? And I kept on going down. So we prayed a total of a half hour and got down to where the pain was like one, okay? She walked out of the office with one in terms of pain, so she was like totally different. The next two months, she had no pain at all, absolutely no pain. And she was able to sleep. She was able to function well. She still had the surgery to correct her neck, but she had no pain after the surgery. So, here, so here's an example where the Lord lifted the pain from her, yet the surgery still needed to correct the issue, but she had no pain at all, absolutely, over, the, over that waiting time of two months. And even the surgery, she didn't have any pain at all. So that was an example of a gift of healing. Uh, not as full as maybe we would like it because it would be nice if it was everything was corrected, with the, but it was enough to get rid of the pain, which is what she came and asked for. She said, I want this pain gone. You know, that's what she asked for. So she got what she asked for. So, Okay. All right. Let's take, if you would, 20 minutes in your small group, and then we'll wrap up with number seven at the very end. I invite you in your small groups, just let me share what maybe struck you about the spiritual gifts and maybe what spoke to your heart about maybe a gift the Lord might be giving you. Okay, if you have your attention back up front here, I'd like to finish the outline with uh, number seven on your sheet here. It's page five. And then we'll finish the evening with this, too. So how can I open myself to the gifts? So first is make sure you're in a right relationship with the Lord. So Paul said this, we make it our aim to, to please the Lord. So the whole purpose of the gifts is to, first of all, is to say, I want to honor the Lord by serving him through the use of these gifts. So we make a fundamental decision to make Jesus the center of our lives. And you've heard us talk a lot about that, and we keep, we keep talking about it because it's so essential for everything else in our life and also in service to others. So next is we ask the Lord to fill us or baptize with his spirit. We often say here, a new Pentecost, more of the Holy Spirit, more of his presence, more of his power. In the early church, the third and fourth centuries, after preparing a candidate for baptism, which usually took about one to three years, at the Easter vigil, they baptized them, immediately confirmed them. They come out of the water, and there was the bishop right there with oil. He would confirm them, and they go into the main body of the church where the community was already praying, and they pray for an outpouring of the charisms, the spiritual gifts in, that, in those people's lives. Over the next eight weeks, many would experience some manifestation of the charisms. The next eight weeks, leading up to Pentecost, they would grow in the gifts grow in service, experience more of the gifts at work in their life. So they use the Easter season to help people grow in the charisms, the gifts of the Spirit, so that when the Pentecost came, they'd be ready to utilize their gifts to serve the parish community. That's how the early church did it. 
the first, in those, particularly the third and fourth centuries. Today, we pray over Catholics already baptized and confirmed for a release of the spiritual gifts, encouraging them to serve, particularly in works of mercy. Here's how we're going to do it here at St. Patrick's. Uh, June 9th of this year, um, we're having a seminar called Discovering My Ministry. It's based on what's called the SERVE model. The SERVE is an acronym, S-E-R-V-E. So let me explain what that is. Um, S stands for spiritual gifts. So we take a look at the spiritual gifts, kind of like we did tonight, but only a little bit more in depth. What we do is uh, lead you through an inventory. Um, inventory would kind of like, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of test you for different gifts. And then we score it, and you have an indication of what gifts the Lord's given you. It's an indication, though. It's not the whole thing. We get you to reflect on your own life in different situations where gifts may be appearing. We also talk about the gifts and relate them to the Catholic tradition, particularly some examples of that in Catholic tradition. So that's the S part of it. Next is E, engage the heart. Engage the heart means that the Lord has given each person here a particular desire or passion in their heart that they really, like, just energizes them. Like the lady I was talking about earlier from uh, at St. Philip Neri who took care of the poor. Like, that was her that was her heart's passion. It just wasn't the gift of mercy. It was her heart's passion. Like, that, she, she lived for that kind of thing. And um, she could do it without getting tired. Somebody else in the parish looks at the poor and kind of says, uh, you know, not, you know I, I don't mind take, helping out, but it's not what I live for each day. It's, they're not wrong. It's just not their passion. So another example I remember at St. Philip Neri was we, had, we t- took them through the inventory kind of thing, and... Um, and both of them had the gifts of teaching. So how are they supposed to use it? Well, it depended upon their heart's passion. One person had a passion to reach children, teach children the faith. Another person had a passion to help people coming into the church, learn about the Catholic faith, and be part of the church. They both had the gift of teaching, but the passions of their heart determined where the Lord was leading them to serve. So we take, we take a look at how do you engage your heart? How do you discern what the passion of your heart is? The fourth, third is the R is relationships in Christ. This is important because we don't serve alone, and we always serve in relationships. So we take a look at how to honor people, how to cultivate a servant's heart, how to encourage people, how to use our words wisely to build each other up with our words. Because we don't want, through our service or our gifts, to cause division. And so we want to, to stay. Remember, our gifts are supposed to be used to build up. They work in charity. So we teach people how to do that by cultivating a servant's heart, by learning to encourage one another, using our words wisely, and to learn to, uh, to honor one another as well. So the R is the relationship. The V is vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. Ministry is not simply my good idea or my resources to help somebody out. It's, it's, it is my goodwill or your goodwill that is aligned with the Holy Spirit who wants to work through you to meet the needs of others. So we talk about how we listen to the Holy Spirit as we serve other people. Okay. And lastly, E is experiences that matter. We all have different experiences in our life. Um, we have good experiences. We also have painful experiences. And oftentimes it's in the painful experiences that once we begin to heal from them, 
the Lord uses our painful experiences to help us serve other people who are going through a similar kind of pain. You've heard me use the example of the Down syndrome child uh, and different homilies. Uh, um, another example would be not Down syndrome, but a family that couldn't have children decided to go adopt. Uh, and um, But the thing is, they had to go through a lot to learn how to do that and grow through that and learn how to raise those children. Um, and so, But there were other people in the parish who were in a similar situation as they, and so we, we teamed them up with them to kind of like coach them, teach them, and share their experience because those folks that had originally adopted had a heart for that and could help out others who were in a similar kind of situation. So through the painfulness of not having children, which was kind of a painful thing to walk through, but then they, they, they got to the point of wanting to adopt, that we, they were able to minister to other people who had, are, were going through the similar kind of pain and showing them that the pain doesn't have to define who they are. The pain can open up the avenues for what the Lord wants to do through that. So here's the point we make with this, and this is what we're going to look at on this particular day, June 9th, is that every single person here is being given spiritual gifts, has a passion of their heart, that is the, the Lord's heart to the world that we live in. So in other words, take uh, that person who reached out to the poor. It wasn't just her passion, it was the Lord's heart being expressed through her to speak, to reach out to the poor. So it's like the Lord's voice was, was just booming through her life for the poor. Right here, each person here has a passion the Lord's given them. And the Lord wants, is booming, wants to boom through your life to say, hey, this is my heart for the world that we live in through this person here who, who loves to teach children or care for the poor or visit the sick or whatever. Okay. So we, we help you walk through these, this serve model. At the end of it, uh, we... Uh, we have what's called a ministry placement process where uh, you would meet with uh, a staff person. Uh, uh, we call it a ministry guide, basically, to show, like, okay, with the gifts the Lord's given to you, with some of your natural talents, with the passion of your heart, and so on, the experiences in your life, here's, like, two or four different ministries you could experiment with and see if it works going to work for you. And then we would send you to the staff person who helps run that ministry, and they get you acclimated. You may be already in an area that you're working in. You're perfectly fine with that, which is great. The thing that we hope you come away with from it is awareness of the gifts the Lord's given you, awareness of how to be more dependent on the Holy Spirit working through you, and the awareness of how our relationships that we're serving people with or working with really matters how we conduct those relationships. It matters to how the gifts are effective or not effective depending upon how our relationships go, you know. So, so that's what we hope uh, to do on that day is, is our way here at St. Patrick's of helping people in the parish re- get released in their gifts, discover their gifts, and really serve uh, with a purpose. Not just serve because the church, quote, needs you to serve, but to serve with a purpose the Lord has made you for. Because when you're serving with a purpose the Lord has made you for, you'll be more of a blessing to people and with a sense of calling that he has given you in your personal life. Like this is not just the pastor's good idea for you. This is the Lord's calling to your life. This is what he's made you for. This is how he's formed you and shaped you as his son and daughter. Okay, so that'll be June 9th. We'll be getting more advertisement out about that too. Okay, so let's pray as we conclude the evening.
name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Father, we thank you tonight for this community of St. Patrick's Church. We thank you, Lord, for all the things you've been doing amongst us, for all the ways that you've been working uh, in our midst. And we thank you because you're so uh, good and so gracious to us, so kind to us. And uh, so we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, the best does lay before us with the people of this community of faith, that the gifts that you placed here, the abilities you placed here, the passions of your heart that you placed in many here, the experiences, both good and painful, that you want to work through uh, is truly something you want to develop and release in this faith community so that many people can be touched by your love, healed by your grace, brought into your kingdom, and reaching a suffering, broken humanity that surrounds us. So, Lord, we pray for a new Pentecost upon this faith community so that many of your charisms and gifts would be released in us and through us uh, to reach a suffering, broken heart of people, both within our community of faith, but also outside of us. So, Lord, in this upcoming week, prepare our hearts for next week for that fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, next week, we'll meet here. Um, we'll be having, uh, showing actually a video of people actually praying uh, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll take some time to uh, have some prayer. Um, if you you have the opportunity to have a personal prayer. Um, you may want that. You may not want that, but we invite you to still come anyway because we'll have the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, also, you have time for personal prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. And then after the, the, uh, we pray with people, then we'll have a short teaching on how to grow in our relationship to the Lord, and that will conclude the evening. So we'll begin next week at 7. So we'll look forward to seeing you. So thank you for being here tonight, and we'll have a good week. Thank you. Thank you.